Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast is brought to you by Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues, regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. You can learn more at GoliathTechnologies.com. And also by Liquidware, creators of FlexApp, the most feature-rich application layering product on the market today. Check out whatmatrix.com for a full feature breakdown of all application layering products. I'm hoping the audio might be a little bit better this week. My voice has returned somewhat. Unfortunately, I now have hearing problems, so it's going to be very difficult to edit this one, so I apologize. Well, let's not waste any time. Let's get into some of this week's news. There was a pretty dramatic story this week about VF Email, an email service provider that's popular with businesses. According to KrebsonSecurity.com, on the morning of February 11th, the company started fielding reports from users who said they were no longer receiving emails. They initially responded that external-facing systems of differing operating systems and remote authentication in multiple data centers were down. A couple of hours later, the drama started to unfold publicly with an admission that they had been hacked and the hackers formatted a mail server in the Netherlands. Later, VF Email stated, quote, At this time, the attacker has formatted all the disks on every server. Every VM is lost. Every file server is lost. Every backup server is lost. Strangely, not all VMs shared the same authentication, but all were destroyed. This was more than a multi-user password via SSH exploit, and there was no ransom, just attack and destroy. They are trying their best to recover data now, but have stated they don't have high expectations of getting any US data back. There's plenty of speculation going on right now. It appears the attacker was coming in via a VM with a Bulgarian IP address, and it was stated it has characteristics of a nation-state activity. Makes you wonder who had what data on those servers that somebody wanted to get rid of that badly. If you use that mail service and have a local email client, don't wipe it. Don't connect back to their servers. The local copy that you have on your PC today or your Mac or whatever is potentially the only copy of those emails that still remain. You better take it offline, go through and make sure that you back up anything that's very important. Honestly, this week's episode is a pretty security heavy episode. And the next story is courtesy of Stever Robin who this week reported on a pretty significant change to Skype. That's not Skype for business, but the old regular Skype that looked like it might have been going away for a while, but they've actually put some time into revamping it. So personally, I haven't used Skype in a few years. I used to require it for a couple of jobs. So this would have been a huge concern for me if I was using it like day to day. Essentially, in its most recent update, Microsoft transformed Skype into somewhat of a social media type of experience. You can see contacts you have in common with other contacts or people that you search. As Stever points out, if you have contacts who are 
of a sensitive nature that you don't want others seeing, that could be a big concern. Honestly, I don't even know who are in my Skype context right now because I haven't used it in a couple years. If I was using it day to day, this would be very concerning. I believe the example was used by him of somebody who maybe is trying online dating and has some dating prospects in their contacts. Or even if you're using it for business and say you have a recruiter or a contract company's contact information and another contract company sees that you have their contact info. There's so many different scenarios where this could be very bad. It's just a terrible idea to have this kind of feature in this product. Unfortunately, it appears deleting your account still doesn't clear your contact data from other people's views. Stever updated the post today to reflect there has been some changes and it appears that strangers no longer be able to see your mutual contacts, but your contacts will still be able to see your mutual contacts. In my opinion, Microsoft needs to fix this right away. There was a very interesting blog post by Microsoft's Chris Jackson. I noticed it just after I finished recording last week's episode, so it's about a week old. In this article, Chris explains that Microsoft have empowered customers with an easy button option in the past for supporting sites and web apps in newer versions of Internet Explorer, even if those sites or web apps weren't up to current standards. Chris even makes the point that today, for many sites running in the Internet Zone, are operating at a level that really runs against standards from 1999. It's for these reasons and more that Chris suggests that Internet Explorer should no longer be your default browser. He suggests still using it when needed, possibly by leveraging an enterprise mode list, but you should use a different modern browser as your daily driver. He doesn't recommend any one modern browser over another, just that you should consider a modern browser. iGel have announced a partnership with Login VSI to leverage Login Pi. If you're not familiar with Login Pi, Blair Parkhill, director of products at Login VSI, in the article or the press release stated, Login Pi tests, measures, and alerts IT admins on availability and performance changes that affect desktop and application workflows like patient lookups and record updates, as well as latencies that impact end user experience. Together with IGEL, they are bringing IoT to VDI through the deployment of their deep application test technology to any location around the world in a single click. Further, through the combined IGEL and Login VSI solution, organizations would be gaining valuable insights on the status of the network and their entire VDI configuration. The IGEL and Login VSI solution is currently available to IGEL OS customers as a custom partition with plans to integrate the solution into the IGEL OS firmware in a future release. There's a variant of the Blockenbacher attack in the wild that can break encrypted TLS traffic, including the relatively new TLS 1.3. As stated, this is a variant, and as such, there are other previous attacks leveraging similar methods. I'll share a link with this episode, which is episode 59. If you'd like to read more about this particular variant, check that out under reference links on 5bytespodcast.com. MSIX now has enterprise support on Windows 17.09 and 18.03. 
Previously, in order to run MSIX supported, you needed to be on at least version 1809 of Windows 10. Right now, you can deploy your packages via SCCM, Intune, PowerShell, or simply by launching the packages. For Microsoft Store and Store for Business deployments, 1809 is still the only version supported. The MSIX packaging tool has also had several improvements. If you are a packager or a developer, I strongly suggest you sign up for the Insider Preview program for this tool to stay ahead of the curve and also to provide invaluable feedback to the Microsoft team. Speaking of providing feedback to Microsoft Teams, and it's kind of a side because it's not MSIX related, but please do me and others a favor, probably including yourself, go to a link that I share with this episode in the YouTube description or on 5bytespodcast.com under reference link for episode 59 and look for the Microsoft's user voice RDS feedback link that I share. I'd ask you to please upvote the request for Microsoft to support on-premises multi-user Windows 10 rather than just keeping Windows Virtual Desktop for Azure only. And back to security, if you use enforcement for Forest Boundary for Kerberos full, full delegation features in Server 2012 or newer, you should know that the default configuration for that feature is unsafe when incoming trusts are created. This is because the configuration lets an attacker in the trusting forest request delegation of a TGT for an identity from the trusted forest. A fix is tentatively scheduled via an update on July 9th, 2019. But in the meantime, there is also a suggested workaround. You can block TGT delegation across an incoming trust by setting the net dome flag, enable TGT delegation to no. And you can do that with a simple command line. I'll share the link with this episode. Uh, or you can check out KB article 449-0425 for more information. Another congratulations to ExtraHop, this time for being recognized as a leader in the Gartner Network Performance Monitoring and Diagnostics Magic Quadrant. According to Jack Madden, this week Google fixed a pretty confusing workflow for sharing documents in the G Suite. In the post, Jack describes that when sharing a document to those without an account, It was asking for them to create one, but wasn't very clear. Now an existing account can be used. It's good to see G Suite advancing and making these little changes that particularly those who are new to their G Suite ecosystem are confused by. Not everybody's had a Gmail account, so it might be taken for granted. These next couple of stories are a little unusual because it's not specific to enterprise IT, or at least doesn't apply widely to those working in IT, I feel. But I thought it was interesting nonetheless. The HIMSS19 conference was held in Anaheim, California this week, which is a major healthcare IT and innovation conference. One of the highlights that I picked up on was an announcement from EMR vendor Cerner on the use of analytics within their system to warn of physician burnout. I think this would be of interest to all tech workers because these EMRs are almost like the new workspace tools that are becoming quite popular across enterprise IT, but these ones are specific to healthcare. Those healthcare workers spend all day in those tools and do everything in them. You may recall on a previous episode of the podcast, I talked about an Office 365 feature that was added using analytics-driven data to help improve Office 365 users with their work-life balance. It's interesting to see how this kind of data 
is finally being harnessed for the betterment of people's lives and not just for marketing purposes. By far the coolest demos and announcements that I saw from the conference were related to Magic Leap. They have partnered with AT&T in a study to use virtual reality and augmented reality to help care for hospice patients. The study launched in January 2019 at a nationally recognized cancer center in Southern California evaluates multiple aspects including patient feedback, VR and AR content effectiveness, and technology delivery options. The first module of the study is going to focus on the effect of the content toward enhancing a patient's comfort level through the VR and AR experience. For example, to help calm an anxious patient, they might take a virtual walk through a field along a tranquil stream or even journey to Machu Picchu in Peru. I had the pleasure of attending the Atlantic conference in Ireland last summer where they were using robots with a few different technologies pulled together like they had the Microsoft Connect camera and voice activation for taking commands. Um, and that robot was being used for Alzheimer's patients. So you could essentially load the robot with some of their favorite things, pictures and reminders of events that happened in their lives. And the robot would essentially bring comfort by sharing these things are familiar with the Alzheimer's patients. I really love these kinds of stories for sharing technology to help out those that are vulnerable. It's like that uh, Super Bowl ad that was so popular this year, the Microsoft Super Bowl ad on the adaptive controller, which I've covered in previous episodes of the podcast. It would be great if these tech vendors embraced philanthropy, which seems to be happening now, and advanced caring for those the most vulnerable in society, in my opinion. But also on the subject of Magic Leap at this conference, they also showcased using their devices for surgery training purposes. So you'll want to check out the video edition of this podcast on YouTube to see this for yourself. It's really impressive. Essentially, they've got part of a mannequin and they're wearing the Magic Leap head headset and performing surgery through, I guess it's probably a mixture of virtual reality and augmented reality because it's casting it onto this mannequin. But you really, you got to check it out for yourself. It's really impressive stuff. And now this week, I've got some hot jobs. Honor Health in Phoenix are looking for a virtual infrastructure engineer level 2 and a virtual infra infrastructure engineer level 3. If you read in to the details, really what they're looking for are Citrix engineers. The level 3 position is the top tier of engineer. They don't have a level 4, so that's the top tier of engineer. So if you're a really strong performer, if you really know your stuff with Citrix Zen apps, Zen desktop, PVS, MCS, all that good stuff, you'll want to check this out. This isn't a remote work opportunity, although there is some work from home on offer. But as I said at the beginning of the year, if anybody out there has a job that they would like me to promote on this podcast, reach out to me and I'll be happy to share it, even if it's not a remote work opportunity. I want to use this kind of as a message board. If you're struggling to find somebody, maybe the podcast could reach a little further than your current recruiting does. And now for this episode's weekly webinar. On February 20th, VMware will be holding one of their Getting More Out of VMware webinars. And this time it's going to be on the topic of VMware Cloud Automation Services. 
They'll be covering things like Cloud Assembly Designer, where the administrators can build the constructs for agile workload and application delivery in their sleek UI canvas. And the coders among you in that group can do the same directly within YAML. They'll also explore code stream components where you can integrate into your existing CI tools and processes to build, optimize, and troubleshoot your release automation and orchestration functions. And they'll be covering more. So if this is something that interests you, check out this webinar. And now for this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. Mike Carey tweeted a really interesting tip that I wasn't aware of this week. So did you know, catch this, typing CMD or PowerShell into the Windows Explorer address bar will open a command window or a PowerShell prompt in whatever folder you were viewing in Windows Explorer. So you know how you right-click run as administrator on, say, PowerShell. It defaults to C Windows System 32. If you don't elevate, it goes to your user profile. Well, if you want to start off in a specific folder location, you could go there in Windows Explorer and just open up PowerShell or CMD from within the address bar within Explorer. And it will open to that directory. I can't believe I didn't know that until this week. So thanks very much to Mike for pointing that out. Adam Yarboro also pointed out that in an open file dialog, if you execute cmd.exe within the open file dialog, it will launch to that directory too. I'm sorry if I butchered your name, Adam. I should know by now. So I didn't know about any of this. And it seems like something I should have heard of before. And that reminded me that many people don't seem to know that in Windows... If you hold shift and right click on a file, you have an option to copy as path. That's very useful for sending someone that path to an executable on a share or something like that, or for adding to scripts or whatever you want to do if you just need to grab the path of a file. Well, that's it for another episode. Thank you guys so much for listening.